Good morning, Generations Church, and happy birthday. This is our fifth anniversary. We are five years old. Uh, in one year, we'll be six, and I guess six years old, that's when you can go to first grade. I know that if you have a four or five-year-old and they ask the parents, they ask you, when will I be old enough to go to first grade? What you can tell them is it's when they're able to reach their arm over their head and touch their ear on the other side. Apparently, it is actually six-year-olds who are finally able to do that. Otherwise, your arm is too short. You can test your kids on that if you don't believe it. It is our fifth anniversary, and uh, we praise God for what he has been doing. And we are in the midst of our series on the 12th. It is the third series from the Gospel of Mark, and this one focuses on Christ's authority and costly discipleship. The sermon today will be, Whose Side Are You On? As we Consider our fifth anniversary. Let me ask each of us, whose side are you on? We are looking at Mark 3, 20 through 35. And this passage is a sandwich passage. The strategy that Mark uses as he writes his story in Mark 3, 20 through 35, is he uses a sandwich structure. And so that made me think about sandwiches. So let me talk for a moment. Oh, that I hope you're not too hungry this morning. I remember when I was a kid, I loved sandwiches. I loved all the different kinds of sandwiches. A great sandwich, ham and cheese sandwich, roast beef sandwich, pastrami, hot pastrami sandwich. And you can put cheese on it and lettuce and mustard or mayonnaise and you can make a sandwich so mouth-watering. I recall when I went to Taiwan, it's the first time that I really begin to appreciate bread. There are so many bakeries in Taiwan where they get up in the middle of the night and they bake the bread and by morning it is fresh. And my wife, Pei Fang, introduced me to the glories of having fresh baked bread. I recall uh, when I went first uh, to Paris. I was delighted to see the French bread. You see them for sale in the baskets, and they just look so scrumptious. And every person in Paris seems to have a bread, a loaf of bread under their arm. So I recall the first time I got my courage up and I offered, or and I purchased my own bag of French bread. I was walking around. And I learned that a sandwich, when you appreciate that it has perfect bread, and also a wonderful content inside of it, that each of those enhance the other. They strengthen the power of the other one. Oh, that looks so good. I hope, I hope you guys aren't too hungry at the moment. A sandwich. The bread enhances the content. The content enhances the bread. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. It is a sandwich structure that Mark is using. So we have story one begins, and it talks about the family of Jesus. And they are beginning to suspect Jesus and his sanity. And then the story breaks off, and we go to story two. And the leaders, a parallel story, the leaders suspect Jesus is demon-possessed. And then story two is resolved, and that then 
leads into story one and the resolution of story one, a sandwich structure. Each part of the structure helps explain the other or it enhances the other part of the story. So let us turn now to Mark 3, 20 through 35. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would bless us on this anniversary. Pray pray that you would bless this message, that you would speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Story one, the family of Jesus begins to suspect his sanity. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered. Recall in uh, the gospel of Mark, Jesus has burst onto the stage and he has begun, begun to demonstrate his authority. He shows that he has authority over demons. He has authority over sickness and he is healing people. He's casting out demons and he is teaching with authority, not in so-and-so says, but he says, I say. He's been demonstrating his authority and the Crowds have begun to follow him. And so now he's entering a house and the crowds are gathering to him so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And so we can imagine the situation. The crowds press into the house and they're so busy that he's not even able to take a moment to eat. When his family, here we're talking about Mary, his mother, and his brothers and sisters who would be his half-brothers or sisters, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. If you're the family of someone who begins to teach with authority, who begins to create huge crowds and become so busy that you don't even have time to eat, you might be concerned. And so we can be sympathetic with the family of Jesus, if they want to go and bring relief to him. So here we see them. They pick up and they set on their way to gather Jesus and to bring him home. We stop this story for the moment and we go on to story two. Again, it's a parallel story. So the family of Jesus is on the way to the house and now we see the teachers of the law. They were also dispatched. The teachers of the law were dispatched to the house and they came down from Jerusalem and said, and this is their accusation, when they see the authority and the power of Jesus, they say he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. And so this is a serious attack against Jesus. And what we see is that in both stories, there are people attacking the credibility of his claim to be Jesus. They are intended to reject the authority of Jesus or to demean the authority of Jesus. His family is demeaning him and his authority and now these religious leaders are demeaning or rejecting his authority. And in both cases, Jesus needs to deal with that situation. So how does Jesus reply to the charge of the teachers? Jesus denounces them and he shows that their story, that their accusation is actually baseless. It's actually senseless. It doesn't even make sense. How could Satan throw out Satan? So let's look at the passage. 
Verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and began to teach, began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Let's think about this. Who is the strong man? The strong man is Satan. What is the house? The house is the realm of sin, sickness, demon possession, and death. His possessions in the house are the people that he holds captive, that he holds enslaved to sin, sickness, and demon possession. And ultimately, he holds them captivity to death itself. And Jesus has been challenging his authority. Jesus has bound up the strong man. And he has begun to heal people. He's begun to demonstrate his authority. It just doesn't make sense that Jesus would be doing these things, plundering the house of Satan, taking away illness and death, if he was working on behalf of Satan. It is a senseless accusation. And Jesus clarifies, no, when Jesus comes with authority, when Jesus comes with power, when Jesus comes and relieves people from sickness, relieves people from demon possession, relieves people ultimately from death, that is because he is binding the strong man. He is binding Satan and he is defeating him. Ultimately, Jesus will go to a cross. He will die for our sins and he will be resurrected to new life, bringing power over death. Satan will ultimately be defeated. That is who Jesus is. And that is what he is doing. That is his ministry. And he then goes on and he offers a very stern warning to these religious leaders. In a moment, he will treat his family compassionately. But these people who are saying that what he is doing, when he's actually doing it, in the power of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're saying you're doing it in the power of Satan, he offers these people an extremely stern warning. And let's look at these verses carefully because some people worry about these verses and they wonder, could I have committed a sin that I can never be forgiven? Let's look carefully at these verses. Truly, I tell you, he's speaking to them with all earnestness, this truly, amen, verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, I say to you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. 
He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. I want us to think carefully. What is he saying? And what is it that these leaders are doing? He says that if someone blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, they will never be forgiven. This is a defiant hostility against God. This isn't one careless statement. This isn't one time, one sin. No, this is a person who has hardened their heart and they refuse to see what God is doing. This is a person who has seen the light. So these leaders, they are people who have seen the light. And what we see is they are hardening their heart and they are rejecting it. And when they reject Jesus, they are rejecting the authority that he is using. They are rejecting the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit that provides healing, the authority and power of the Holy Spirit that provides deliverance from demons. They are blaspheming the Holy Spirit or the power behind Jesus, the authority and power of God himself. And they have taken an attitude. And if you have an attitude to reject Jesus and to reject the power behind him, then there will never be forgiveness because you have hardened your heart. And so the result will be that you can never be forgiven. There is no pardon for a person who never seeks mercy. There's no pardon for a person who will never seek mercy. That person who has so hardened their heart has no hope to receive salvation. Or mercy. I want us to understand what he's saying. Actually, I read one commentator who made the point that if you are worried about this verse, if you are worried about your salvation, if you are worried if you've committed this sin, then you probably have not. You probably have not. Because these people have no concern about the state of their soul. These people have completely rejected and taken on an attitude of hostility toward God. They've been close to the light. They've had opportunity to see the light. And they have turned their back on it. I also would note, have these leaders actually committed that sin? This verse doesn't say, and so maybe they have not committed this sin, but there is a stern warning for them. Beware, because if your heart becomes so hard that it just only rejects the Holy Spirit, the power behind Jesus, then there will be no forgiveness. Another point I want to make from this, these verses, verse 28, is we're so worried about what's coming in verse 29 and verse 30 that often we overlook the powerful statement in verse 29. Truly, verily, I say unto you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander 
they utter. That's what we should focus on. Brothers and sisters, whatever we have done, there is a promise that if there is any openness in us, if we will open our eyes at all and be receptive to light and truth, we can be forgiven all our sins and every slander we might have uttered. This is a powerful statement of the grace, a powerful statement of the glory of God. And then this leads us into the end of story one. Jesus identifies his real family. Let's go on. Verse 31, returning now to the family of Jesus. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he said, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So the family of Jesus, they arrive. It's so crowded. They send a little delegate. They ask someone to go into the house because maybe they are not quite able to squeeze their way in. And the person arrives and tells Jesus that uh, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus then looks at the crowd, and it says he looks at the circle seated around him. We can imagine he's looking at his closest disciples, and he makes a profound promise. I want us to note that in this promise, he in no way is rejecting his family, his mother. In fact, if we look at different parts of the gospel, Jesus is constantly showing concern and compassion for his mother. When he's hanging on the cross, he designates somebody to take care. As he's leaving, he designates somebody to care for his mother. So this is no statement on how close he is to his family. No, what he is stating is that others are welcome into the family. That as close as he is to his mother and his brothers, he wants to emphasize that others are welcome to join. And so what is the true family of Jesus? Who are my mother and brothers? Who are the true family of Jesus that can share that relationship with him? Then he looked at those seated in the circle around them and he said, Here are my brothers, my mother and brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever believes in God can be part of the family of God. What a beautiful reminder on our fifth anniversary that all of us are part of the family of God. Generations Church, we are the people of God. And God delights, Jesus delights to have us to be part of his family when we believe him and we obey him. Think of how a family functions. As we come to our conclusion, think about how a healthy family 
functions. We love one another. We care for one another. We rejoice when wonderful things happen. We are sorrowful when bad things happen. Any part of the family, any part of the body affects who we are, how we think. It affects our joy. Let me uh, remind you of my family a little bit. We had a Mother's Day at Generations Church uh, several years ago, and I had a special surprise arranged for my mother, if you recall. I had arranged with my sister and her daughter, my niece. This is her on the screen, Stephanie, my niece. They, she was my cohort on uh, pulling this uh, surprise on my mother. And so we had a Skype telephone call. So here I am in the church service on Mother's Day. There's Andy, my son, helping us prepare. And uh, Stephanie, my niece, uh, has just called my mother to come into the set. And so here comes my mother, and we gave her a Mother's Day greeting from California all the way to Pennsylvania. That is what family does. We care for one another. I remind you of my mother because she's now 88 years old and she recently moved. Uh, she's been living uh, for several years in a retirement area and her husband, my stepfather, uh, several weeks ago moved into personal care. And uh, last week my mother had to move into her own single apartment so she could be in the same building as her husband who is in personal care. And that involved a very difficult move, uh, emptying out her house, putting everything into a small apartment. It was a huge job. And as a son, I wanted so much to be part of that. But they're moving during a pandemic and to travel from California to Pennsylvania isn't easy and the distance is so far. What happened, though, is my daughter, Leah, who is currently working in Pennsylvania, was able to drive. She's just an hour and a half from Grandma's house. She was able to drive that weekend and to help my mother, her grandmother, to help her pack. And then on moving day, Monday, she was there. And I have to say, I was so delighted. I felt so bad that I couldn't participate with my family, but with my mother and my sister as they were moving. But I knew my daughter was there, and that gave me such a profound joy and thanksgiving, thankfulness that my daughter would volunteer to do that. I actually, I don't think I would have ever asked my daughter to help. I know I would have never commanded her to do that. But she volunteered. She wanted to do that. That's family. We care for one another. And me, as I watched her and became aware of her helping with that move, it gave me so much joy. I believe Jesus, as he has been taken to heaven, as he watches his family operate, I imagine he experiences that joy when we love one another, when we care for one another, when we do, when we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world and to one another, when we show compassion, I feel that Jesus must feel so much pride and so much joy that he knows that he, through his body, 
He's showing compassion to the world through Generations Church. So let me encourage us on our fifth anniversary to love and dedicate ourselves to one another. This is our opportunity. Five years ago, we started this church. Here we are at Harvest LA, and we are praying for the new church that is about to be born. The church, Generations Church, five years ago was born out of prayer and a desire for God to bless us. This was my first sermon series that I gave overwhelming generations. I prayed that God's passion would pour out on us and it would overflow from us to our families and our neighbors. This is our picture that first day when we met together, filled with promise, filled with hope. A year later, 2017, there's our invitation. There's our picture from the first year and our invitation to come February 12, 2017, one year anniversary. And by then we had moved to our new building. And uh, of course, here's another picture of us in front of the San Gabriel Mountains. And yet, Another milestone, here it is, as we went from being a prayer station within the Evangelical Formosan Churches, EFC Churches, to becoming an independent church. And here we are again. Some of these people uh, have left. We've had new members come since then, but our prayer is that each and every person would feel the love and compassion of Christ who comes through our doors. And here we are in another photo, and we pray that God would bless his people, and that we could turn around and be a blessing to each other, that we could turn around and be a blessing to our world. In a moment, we will join each other in a Zoom meeting. We'll take a uh, group photo, hopefully We'll all be wearing either white or blue. If you have one of the white shirts like I have on or one of the blue shirts, uh, go ahead and put those on for the family photo. I love taking family photos together, and we will do that. But we will, even more importantly, we will share communion together in a live service, sharing the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that was given for us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would bless us this morning. Pray that you would bless Generations Church. Lord, pray that we would commit ourselves again to one another, to love one another, to be family. Pray that we would commit ourselves to be radical disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would obey, we would believe, and we would obey. And we pray that by doing that, we would bring you great joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.